The following conversation with Denise Torres from the Center for Compassionate Living aired on the 7th of March, 2018, on the Wednesday edition of The Point, a weekly show highlighting local community members, issues, and events. This podcast is a production of KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio. Denise Torres from the Center for Compassionate Living is joining us to honor Women's History Month. We're going to talk about two sisters who learned from the Quaker method of nonviolence to fight for the end of slavery and also women's rights. Welcome, Denise Torres, and thanks for introducing us, Bruce and myself, to Angelina and and Sarah Sarah Mm -hmm. Grimke, the only known white Southern women to be part of the abolition movement. Absolutely. You're, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am too. And, and, and you help really guide this conversation and the introduction of these two women and tying them to the workshop that we'll talk about after the exactly, break. Yeah. So tell us, you have something you want to offer. I do. I actually want to start off with a poem today because I think that uh, this poem expresses a lot of what the sisters were about and what I hope we can manage more of in our community. The poem is called, Peace is This Moment Without Judgment. Do you think peace requires an end to war? Or tigers eating only vegetables? Does peace require an absence from your boss, your spouse, yourself? Do you think peace will come some other place than here, some other time than now? in some other heart than yours. Peace is this moment without judgment. That is all. This moment in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome. Peace is this moment without thinking that it should be some other way, that you should feel some other thing that your life should unfold according to your plans. Peace is this moment without judgment, this moment in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome. This is a poem by Dorothy Hunt in honor of women's history. Let's give a little bow to Dorothy for this really beautiful poem. And I want to speak to The very last line, because I think it's the line that is most confusing to people. She says, in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome. And I think it seems to lead people into the idea that we should simply accept everything that's around us. And that would bring us peace. And I don't necessarily think, I can't speak for Dorothy, of course. But when I think about the work that I do at the center and my foremothers and forefathers in the work of nonviolence, I have to think it's really more about recognizing things as they are and welcoming that. It's easy to push things away as wrong and bad. It's easy to run away from things that are uncomfortable. In fact, we have a cultural, in my opinion, we have a cultural habit of doing that. But I think what Dorothy is saying, or perhaps is saying here, is if you see things as they are, you have a way of working with them. If you can't see them for how they actually are in this moment, it's far more difficult to live with what's inside of you and to live in the community where these things are taking place. 
So I'm very um, inspired by Dorothy's poem. And I think it's a wonderful lead into talking a little bit about the Grimke sisters. Because in there, just everyone listening, not a historian, but I'm fascinated by these women. I first learned about them through Sue Monk Kidd's book. You can find out about the Grimke sisters very easily online. There are many sites that can uh, give you more information. But basically, at the heart of their speeches was compassion, affection, sisterly love. There was never condemnation. There was never blaming. There was no judgment. There was no attack. It was simply trying to look at the situation as it was in their time and in their life and to speak to it actually as it was for them and how they saw it. So here's a situation in which they voiced their opinion. They were very, very clear about being abolitionists. And in that process, learned that their actual own experience as women was an oppressed experience. They were often uh, denigrated and literally bumped out of communities because they were women speaking at that time, public speaking. And so they became very aware of the issues of their of their time and of their of our gender, of the female gender, and also for the slaves and saw sisterhood with um in that in that vein. And yet in all of that, in all of their own oppression and the the pieces that affected them in their own personal lives, they never once stood up and said and yelled and judged and blamed and shook their finger. They went back over and over again to compassion and love. Just a little history. These were two sisters who were, the oldest was born in 1792, and then Angelina, her younger sister, 13 years younger, was born in 1805. And they were born into plantation-owned slave-holding family of South Carolina. Absolutely. It was a very prominent family. Their father was the Supreme Court judge of South Carolina, and he owned many, many hundreds of slaves, and their prominence was really based on their, you know, their financial ability. And I understand, actually, that th her father owned slaves his whole life, regardless of the work that she was doing. Absolutely. He and his older daughter, Sarah, became close at the end of his life. And although I don't think she ever managed to shift his thinking on slavery, it's another example on how she overcame her natural abhorrence. How do I say this? How she didn't blame her father for slavery, even though he advocated for slavery. She saw her father as her father and her mother in the same way. And even in later years, Sarah was able to help her mother, if not support her, at least have empathy for the work that she did. What I found fascinating, too, was the transition. I guess it was Sarah who first went to the North, and that's where she was introduced to the concept of Quakerism. Mm -hmm. And then her sister joined her. I want to quote this historian, Gerda Lerner, who wrote about Angelina, the younger sister. It never occurred to Angelina that she should abide by the superior judgment of her male relatives, or that anyone might consider her inferior simply for being a girl. And at that time, she and her sister had to quit school because they were girls. Absolutely. The, the things that, that they had both hoped to learn in their life, they weren't able to learn because they were girls. But Angelina had a mentor, and it wasn't it was Sarah. As Sarah began to really uh, absorb her sense of slavery being something that was just not acceptable, she conveyed those ideas to her younger sister as her mentor. And so, so Angelina was able to grow up really understanding that no man is more superior than another. And it really... In fact, it made her a very, very powerful speaker. 
And again, I want to emphasize this is Sarah and Angelina Grimke. Grimke. I mean, I really do encourage our listeners to to check these women out um, because they worked for the end of slavery and for women's suffrage, and they did it all with appealing to the emotions of other people, including Southern women. There's, there's a quote, and we don't have time to read it, where she writes to Southern women asking them if they would like their children to be slaves. Astounding argument about, well, when you are you know, surprised at that question, well, then why do we keep thinking that there's this myth of that we're taking care of these mm-hmm, people? Exactly. And it, it was a good argument of personal insight, which I mm-hmm. think they probably gained from their investment in the Quaker religion. Absolutely. Well, and also in part that these both women in their childhood, their father made them work alongside with the slaves to have an understanding of how the world works. And Sarah was quoted as saying, um, Here's the thing. I was out there in the field. I saw what I saw. I experienced what I experienced. I don't think my father had any idea that what he exposed me to was really going to lead to this in my life. But I think it did. It's something along those lines, yeah. Isn't that the truth? That when you do see it firsthand, I mean, that's what Mm -hmm. changes attitude. Absolutely. I wanted to go back to what you were saying about the idea of not using blame. One of the most profound Actually, I have to say, this is just an amazing piece of work, although incredibly lengthy. Sarah um, uh, Grimke wrote something called An Appeal to the Christian Women of the South. She wrote it in 1836. It's a rather long treatise, which she does a remarkable job using Hebraic law, Jewish law, to identify why slavery was not considered, how do I want to say, was not acceptable to the Jewish faith, nor to Jesus. And given their times and their environment and their strong adherence to Christianity, this is a very profound and also quite a legal document. So it's fun to read along those lines. But I want to read just a little bit of the introduction because it's so telling of what we're speaking to here. She says, I do not believe the time has yet come when my when Christian women will not endure sound doctrine, meaning will not listen to the true sources of Hebraic law and follow them. Even on the subject of slavery, if it is spoken to them in tenderness and love, which I so do. So even in talking to her sisters who are slave owners in the South, she was extending an open-hearted affection and sisterly love. And I think that is uh, overcomes the blame and the judgment and all the other things that she might have felt considering the importance she had for slavery. And the reason I want to bring that forward is because I think we tend to think of these values as perhaps not the most activating values in our community, even though they're things that we all strive for. We often get, I think, even our political climate, we can all agree that this is a time of dissension, a disagreement. But we're not particularly, in my opinion, this is my opinion, (laughs) I don't know that we're particularly skilled in sharing disagreement because we do use judgment and blame and shame and guilt and threats in order to convince other people to believe the same way we do. And so I know that in this community, there are a lot of people who really would like to see change, but are caught up in that kind of thinking. And so this is why I put that class together. So you have coming up a, a workshop. I Would do. you like to tell us a little bit more about it? But first, can you tell us what is a bodhisattva? I can. Briefly. 
Sure. A bodhisattva is a person who made, who's made a vow to end their suffering and then the suffering for all others. In many respects, this is the vow that, that Grimke sisters made, Martin Luther King made, Gandhi made, because it's really about looking at yourself first. The bodhisattva does three things. They look at their self and their um, environment, and they say, I will do no harm. So I'll do no harm to myself. I will not attack myself. I will not uh, criticize myself. I will not be harsh with myself. I will not be harsh with another. I will not cause harm to others. And then they take care of their community. And they share what they've learned and the wisdom they've learned with their community. And then they also see reality as it is, which is very much, is very clear in the appeal that the Grimke sisters, Angelina particularly, speaks to. This is just, this is how it is. You know how it is. We, we both look at this. So to see things as they are, be unafraid to speak to them, but to speak to them out of doing no harm. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about um, why it's called a Bodhisattva's Path to Nonviolent Action. One of the things that we get very hooked up into when we want to create some kind of change is we do get head up in, in us and them and right and wrong. And it's a very emotional experience. It's a very belief, kind of a fixed belief experience about how th- people should be, how they should act, and how if they don't act the way I believe they should act, then they are wrong and bad. What we want to do is begin to shift that change. When we get out of that j- blame and judgment, we can shift it by saying, oh, if I listen to you, and I know your backstory, and I know where you're, what informs your belief, I can speak to that, and then you can speak to mine, and we can find common ground even in really significant differences. And that's really fundamentally what we do in this class. I love your introduction. Do you want to be part of affirming social change? This class allows people to understand this approach, path to nonviolence, and to give them some tools. Can you give us an example of some of the tools? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, the most fundamental tool I can think of is to notice. So one of the things that is the most challenging for us is that we get to be reactive. We have these strong feelings, and then out of our mouth come these words, and often they're judgmental. But when we begin to notice the experience that precedes that in our bodies, and, oh, I'm really feeling frustrated right now, and we stop there, and we say, ah, this is frustration. What's really going on with me? And we ask, oh, what do I need? What am I really needing? Oh, I want to be heard. Then that's something we can ask for. Instead of you're a, you know, you're an it or you never listen or you're this or you're that, we can say, ah, I really need to be listened to here, and I'm just, I'm feeling really frustrated about that, and ask for something that's much more clear and isn't judgmental and continues the conversation, rather something that's judgmental that stops the conversation. And that's true not only interpersonally, but it can be true in doing direct action. It's a class to help us observe what's going on with us, yep. to be honest and open about that, okay. avoid the judgment and blame. Absolutely. There's a, like, for example, one of the phrases we use a lot is, um, I think differently about that. And I still want to connect with you. I think we still can connect. And that effort to want connection rather than push someone away or say, no, I don't want to engage with that, is the defining difference to success in social action. And if you're curious about it, please let me know. You can contact me at Denise at CompassionateCenter.org or call 530-867-3198. And you can just also go to the Center for Compassionate Living. Right. Our, our web, we have a website. Go there. Yes. Sounds good. All right. Thank you very much, Denise, for joining us on the Wednesday Point. You're welcome. Thank Talking you for having me. <laughs> 